If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Coming up on this episode of the Box of Oddities, she wore a birdcage for a hat, and he survived in the ocean on a raft for 134 days. Baroness Elsa von Freytag Loringhoven and Poon Lim. The Box of Oddities. If it's weird, we talk about it. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I think it's a it's an age-old question. Uh, <laughs> it's what? a mystery. Why don't we ask the freaks? I think this is a great idea. Also, this is going to be a really awkward way to start an episode, but all right, so, okay, Uh, Recently, I had a delicious meal that I made with pasta and asparagus. And um, later in the day, I (laughs) (laughs) was thinking about that, you know, that whole asparagus pea thing. Yeah. Just totally coincidentally. And I was, I, I cannot remember if the asparagus pea gene is the gene that makes your asparagus pea smell or if it's the gene that makes you be able to smell the asparagus pea? Is it the the pea or is it the nose? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank and you. Also, does the gene allow you to smell the asparagus pea smell for your pea only? Because how many opportunities does one get to smell somebody else's asparagus pea? Well, I think that would entirely depend on whether it's the pea or the nose. I think that's a, a I was going to say blind taste test, but no. Nope. 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 But I'm sure one of the freaks has to know. They're very smart. Let us know, please. Because it's these types of burning questions that keep Kat and I awake at night. We've been debating this for, well, since last night. (laughs) Yeah. Could we look it up in the internet? Probably. Have we? No. 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 Um, That's that's too easy. And it's almost cheating. It reminds me of that George Carlin line. These are the kinds of thoughts that kept me out of the really good schools. (laughs) (laughs) You and I both have a love for eccentric people, Truth. especially people throughout history that live their own life regardless of societal standards. Mango, king of the pickles. Great example. The guy who thought he could mesmerize people with his snake dance. And then there's this one, the Baroness Elsa von Freytag Loringhoven. What a name. Did you practice that? Uh, yes, I, I had to. And I think... 
members of the Freak family will really appreciate this story because if the Baroness was alive today, she would be a member of the Freak family. The Baroness was born in 1874 in Germany, a highly unconventional artist and poet who lived a life that was really just full of eccentricities and also scandalous behavior. Oh. During her lifetime, she was relatively unknown, but the Baroness now is recognized as a pretty important figure in the development of modern art and is also remembered for her unique and provocative works as well as often bizarre and flamboyant public persona. The Baroness did her own thing. Her unconventional behavior was one of the things that really made her stand out. And it, it ranged from wearing outrageous costumes and also making public scenes, engaging in acts of public indecency. Like a performance art kind of thing? Exactly right. Her personal life was just as unconventional. She had many, many affairs and relationships with both men and women, often at the same time. And, and this was early 1900s. She was married three times, had multiple lovers throughout her life. Get it, girl! Including prominent artists and writers such as Marcel Duchamp and Ezra Pound. <laughs> Pound. Am I right? <clears throat> One of the Baroness's most distinctive and well-known characteristics was her sense of fashion. It was unconventional, doesn't even begin to describe it. She was known, well, let me give you an example. One of her most outrageous outfits was a birdcage skirt, which she wore to a ball in uh, 1917. The skirt was a real birdcage and was adorned with fake feathers and fake birds and she made a necklace out of a bicycle chain and a belt from a measuring tape i love that it's these kinds of unusual fashion statements that were seen as well provocative at least scandalous at the worst the baroness was often ridiculed and criticized for her appearance it was pretty outlandish certainly considering the day and where society was at the time she also had a birdcage hat which had a live bird in it. Oh, well, yeah. you gotta have the matching set. Sure. She was also known for her very provocative art, which did challenge societal norms of both beauty and gender roles. She was a pioneer of the Dada movement. And of course, the Dada movement rejected traditional forms of art and embraced the absurd and nonsensical. It's often kind of tied in with the surrealist movement. Yeah. Her work often, um, well, it included found objects and materials. She would pick stuff up on the side of the road and create art out of scraps of metal and broken glass and discarded household items. And some of these pieces of art are considered today not only pioneering, but influential mm. in later art movements. One of her most famous works of art is a sculpture called God, which she created in, uh, I think it was uh, 1917. The sculpture is made of <laughs> plumbing pipes and a bicycle wheel. And it's meant to represent chaos and violence that was taking place in the uh, First World War. Wow. It was highly controversial at the time, and it was actually rejected by the Society of Independent Artists, they refused to include it in their exhibition, their yearly exhibition. She also had a series of sculptures and assemblages called ready-mades, 
which were created combining found objects into new and often uh, bizarre and absurd configurations. One of the most famous ready-mades is a work called Portrait of Marcel Duchamp, which is made from a cast iron plumbing trap and a thermometer. The work is uh, a tribute to her artist friend and lover. And that wasn't unusual for her because oftentimes her art and her public persona were entwined and her outrageous behavior was seen as kind of an extension of her artistic ability. Mm -hmm. She was known for making public scenes and engaging in public indecency. We'll get into that in a minute. She urinated in public and flashed her breasts. These, of course, were pretty scandalous things in 1917. That year, she was arrested and charged with disorderly conduct after she appeared on the streets of New York wearing only a cape and stockings. Oh. But despite all of these controversies and scandals at the time, uh, she today is highly respected as an influential figure in the art world. Her work has been recognized as a very important precursor to feminist and queer art movements of the 1960s and 70s. And her style, provocative of course, continue to inspire artists today. Now her life in general was marked by tragedy, a long struggle with mental illness and poverty. Nobody took her seriously. They thought she was just some kind of a lunatic. It wasn't until, unfortunately, after she died that people started paying attention to her work. So often the case. And one of the reasons the Baroness's work and life have garnered so much renewed interest in recent years was her unconventional approach to gender and sexuality. She was known for her fluid sexuality. She had relationships, as I mentioned, with both men and women. And her work challenged traditional notions of gender and sexuality. She was a pioneer of using uh, gender-bending imagery in art. Even back then, as an example, her 1917 sculpture, The Spirit of Niagara, she made a phallic form using plumbing pipes and metal scraps, challenging traditional uh, representations of masculinity. But it wasn't just limited to her art, her sculptures. She expressed it in her poetry as well. One of her most provocative works was a poem entitled Eccentric, appropriately Mm. enough. And it goes like this. Subtle as a corkscrew, you worm your way in, dragging your woman behind. You a tragic grin, a drag, a bore, a weakling, no man, a worm with a woman's face. The poem is a rejection of traditional gender roles and and norms, and it celebrates the idea of gendered fluidity and nonconformity. Now, in 1917, this is the kind of thing that would get you burned at the stake. (laughs) Not literally, but you Right, yeah. In her sculpture, Enduring Ornament, she used a variety of found objects, including a bicycle wheel, a gas lamp, and other discarded materials, and she created a striking and unusual work of art that challenges traditional notions of beauty and aesthetics, and instead celebrates the beauty of the value of objects that might otherwise be considered worthless. She was way ahead of her time. Apparently. She was a true pioneer of the avant-garde. And despite facing significant challenges and obstacles in her life, poverty, mental illness, Mm -hmm. she remained true to her artistic vision and her commitment to breaking down the barriers and challenging convention. Here are some of the strange things that she did. Well, strange by societal norms, certainly in that day and, and even today. I mentioned in 1917, she appeared in, a pub, in public wearing a birdcage on her head with a live canary in it. It caused quite a stir. It made headlines. And she was known for her unusual style 
of fashion and tendency to wear men's clothing. On one occasion, she showed up at a formal dinner wearing a costume made entirely out of vegetables, <laughs> including a headdress made of artichokes. Oh, yeah, I can picture that. I bet it looked great. I wonder if you ate her skirt, it would make your pee smell. It's asparagus. Yeah, artichokes, that was the headdress, I'm assuming, that she used oh, asparagus for. Oh, I see. I'm for, sorry. Yeah. I would misunderstood. I'm picturing like a Hawaiian skirt kind of thing with asparagus stalks. I love it. I'm getting a very Lady Gaga vibe. She's actually been compared to a lot of the Dada mm. movement stuff. In one of her poems, Open Letter to the Editor, she wrote, quote, The world would be richer were it not for so many pregnant women and their children. <laughs> Lifelong parasites. Cows should keep their calves and women their placentas. Oh, that really endeared her to the society. Oh, I bet. Elite. She was a frequent patron at a Greenwich Village pub. Well, actually, many of them, bars and nightclubs. She, she was known for her outrageous behavior and her tendency to make scenes. On one occasion, she reportedly pulled her pants down in a public park and shouted, I have a message for the world. <laughs> okay. She was also known for her love of performance art. And you and I love performance art. She often created, intentionally created scenes in public spaces. On one occasion, she covered herself in shaving cream and rolled around in the street shouting, God is love. I can totally see how those things are connected. <laughs> and this, this was on the list of things that I found that uh, caused her to be labeled as eccentric and unusual. I don't really know if that's the case. She had a love for stray dogs and cats, and on one occasion, she was arrested for stealing someone's dog, which she intended to take home and care for. <clears throat> Doesn't sound like anybody I know. I would never steal a dog that was well taken care of. Okay. Those are just a few examples that help to establish her as a truly unique, eccentric, groundbreaking figure in the world of art and culture. Sounds like someone that your mom would have really liked. Oh, my mom. She actually referred to it as collecting weirdos. <laughs> um, her willingness to challenge social and cultural norms and to push the boundaries of what were what was considered acceptable in art and public behavior has made her a fascinating and enduring figure in the history of modern art. She apparently died of gas suffocation in obscurity and her passing was not even reported, well, certainly not widely, sometime around 1927 or 1928, not really knowing what the full impact of her work would have. Right. She was, in recent years, there has been a renewed interest in, in her art and life. Art historians and scholars have come to appreciate the important role that it played in shaping the course of modern art. It continues to inspire and challenge artists and thinkers to this day, and it is a great example of somebody that was just way ahead of their time mm. and totally misunderstood, but ultimately impacted society in the long term. The Baroness Elsa von Freytag Loringhoven. I'm looking up some of her art and love her. My source material, Wikipedia Artsy Poetry Foundation and the Metropolitan Museum of Arts website. So interesting. I think we should posthumously award her honorary status in the Freak family. <laughs> I think that's appropriate. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, 
if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer and now that thing in the middle did you know scientists are now retrieving ancient human dna samples from the cement-like substance that head lice uses to attach their eggs to hair These samples provide a wealth of information about our ancient ancestors, revealing details about their migration patterns, their diet, and even genetic mutations. By studying the DNA in head lice cement, researchers are uncovering new insights into human evolution and the spread of disease. Who knew something as small as a head louse could hold such valuable information? Just one more example of how science continues to amaze and astound us. Hey guys, I've been listening since the pandemic and had caught up with the episodes since 2020, so I decided to make Cat 
proud and go back to the beginning. I was finishing up episode eight, Wait, You Believe in the Moon, which always makes me laugh, <laughs> while I was brushing my teeth. I look up in the mirror to admire my excellent flossing when Cat yells, floss, floss your teeth. I was speechless. <laughs> my first boo effect and then remember i was just listening in order from episode one cat says see you next tuesday and it was tuesday uh-huh oh my god a double boo effect i had to write and spread the good word thanks for keeping me company while i write my dissertation on commemoration in medieval literature your topics always put me in the mood for tombs <laughs> that is such a cool dissertation. Very cool. Also, your dynamic as a couple makes me feel like I'm listening to my partner and I, which is just a lovely, warm feeling. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for reading. Please accept a picture of my sweet baby Winnie as a token of my freakishness. Let me see. Oh, wait, is it actually a baby? Sweet dreams from Chicago, Kirsten. Daniel writes, hey guys, totally random. I've been looking for the new Doritos flavor since you mentioned it. I can't find any new flavors here in Littleton, New Hampshire. What's the name of the Doritos flavor y'all changed your grocery shopping route for? Mm. I'm willing to order it from somewhere at this point, but I can't find the point in the episode that you mention it. Maybe we didn't, I don't know. They go on about Littleton and mention that they are home to Chutters, the world's longest penny candy counter which I Ooh. absolutely want to check out. Um, I wrote back and I included the details about the chips, which are, according to the receipt, Elite Doritos. And I've only seen them in like the kosher section and they're not always available. So just keep that in mind. We found them at the Winn-Dixie here in Orlando, but I would just check the kosher section. Jamie writes, hey guys, still catching up. I'm listening to box 469. Kat is talking about Joy having the super sniffer and detecting her husband's Parkinson's disease. It feels familiar in a way. I've always had a sensitive nose along with a sensitive palate. I got COVID a few years ago, and ever since then, I walk by certain people and I get an overwhelming smell that I can't quite name. It's either patchouli or cat urine. And I thought I was just picking up on certain pheromones, or mm. maybe it was even me smelling like that, but now I'm wondering if it's something more. We all know that COVID has effects on people's bodies and systems. Yeah. Thanks for your story. That's interesting. That is. I prefer patchouli over cat urine, but not by much. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. 
But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. What you got, girl? Oh, oh my. First of all, shout out to Anne Marie who recommended I look up Poon Lim. Poon Lim? Yes. Okay. Poon Lim was born in China in 1918. In the 1930s, as Japan invaded and was looking to basically take over China, Lim's father was fearful that he would be drafted into the Chinese army to fight the Japanese. So Poon Lim left his hometown and at the age of 24 joined the Chinese Merchant Navy as a second steward on board the cargo ship SS Kwangtung. Lim, like so many other Asians, suffered discrimination from his European officers. So he left in 1937 and went to Hong Kong to become a mechanic. But the British improved conditions aboard their ships when they realized with war imminent, they needed more manpower. With this, Lim looking for a way out of Hong Kong, just as Japan were poised to strike in Mm. 1941, signed on for service as a steward aboard the SS Ben Lomond. The SS Ben Lomond was a British steamship that was built in 1911. She was the fourth ship of the Ben Line steamers to be named Ben Lomond. Steamers. <laughs> Which makes things really confusing if you're trying to ensure that you're talking about the right ship. Anyway, During the First World War, it was requisitioned by the British Admiralty and used as troop transport. And after the war, it was returned to civilian service. But in 1939, with the outbreak of the Second World War, the Ben Lomond was requisitioned again by the British government for use as a cargo ship. Now, this was pretty dangerous business at this time. During World War II, German U-boats were torpedoing ships as part of their naval warfare strategy to disrupt Allied supply lines and prevent, you know, goods and materials from making their way. This was uh, particularly effective in the early years of the war, as it was on November 23rd, 1942. The SS Ben Lomond had 46 crew members and four gunners on board when the ship was on her way from Port Said to New York via Cape Town and Paramaribu under the command of her master, John Maul. On this day, the Ben Lomond was spotted by the German submarine U-172, which fired two torpedoes, hitting the Ben Lomond, sinking her within two minutes, about 250 miles from the nearest land to the south. Most of the crew members on board were caught off guard when the ship went down, Mm. and they went down with it. Luckily, Poon managed to get into a life jacket before being sucked under. When he returned to the surface, he was able to get his bearings, and he saw several crew members drifting about in the water. 
Now, I was unable to find a lot of information about the others that survived the initial sinking. One source said that they were picked up by the U-boat and questioned and then returned to the open ocean. Oh, my God. Before Poon Lim lost sight of them. Other sources don't mention other survivors at all. The idea of going down in the ocean terrifies me, especially if it's night. And and, and I think a lot of that is due to that scene from um, Castaway with Tom Hanks when the plane goes down and he's in the middle of the ocean. And he has to avoid the jet engines from sucking him in and mm. chewing him up. I thought about that a lot when we were over the North Pacific flying to Bangkok. Yeah, we had just finished watching the first season of Yellow Jackets. <laughs> and I was like, Mm. That's right, because we flew over part of British Columbia. That's just how our brain works. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We usually try to avoid any sort of disaster film immediately before traveling Mm. for exactly that reason. Poon Lim managed to find a hatchboard and hung on to it until he saw an empty raft that someone had deployed. It was a wooden raft about eight feet square with a partial canvas roof, and it had some provisions on it. A 40-liter jug of water, several tins of biscuits and hardtack, pemmican, malted milk tablets, a few lumps of sugar, a little bit of chocolate, two flares, a flashlight, and a little bit of lime juice. But with no rescue in sight, Poon Lim knew that these provisions may not last long. So he began to use his survival skills to prolong his life. He collected rainwater in his life jacket and using a canvas canopy. He crafted a rudimentary fishing line using a wire from the wreckage of the ship and would crush biscuits and roll them in paste for bait. Once he caught small fish, he would then use those small fish to catch bigger fish. If he ran out of bait, he would use barnacles that had started to cling to the sides of the raft. He would cut the fish in strips and hang them out in the sun to dry. He also took seaweed from the bottom of the raft and then matted it down and shaped it to look like a nest. And then he would leave fish rotting next to the nest so that birds would swoop down. And sure enough, they did. And he was able to capture them and make seagull jerky and drink their blood. Well, well, that's... This wasn't my favorite part. Yeah, but that's resourceful. Sure is. Holy crap. I would never think of that. I'd be all bummed out that I couldn't watch Netflix. (laughs) He even, at one point, caught a shark because, obviously, they've been hanging around, right? They've Mm. been bugging him. So he was like, all right, I'll just... I'll catch one of you and eat you then. So he did. He was able to pull it up onto the raft, then beat it to death, basically, Mm. with a jug of water. And he covered his hands in canvas to protect them as well as he could from the, you know, the the dangers of a shark. Mm. And also because he thought that it would provide traction because sharks can be slippery. Of course. So, I mean, it's not a lot of fun. But um, well done, Poon Lim. He did all of this, by the way, with one end of a knotted rope tied to his wrist because Poon Lim didn't swim so great. Mm. So he thought, okay, if I do fall off this raft, I want to be able to haul myself back up, which I think is so clever because my thought would be, just don't fall off the raft, right? Right, right. But you don't know what's going to happen. You're in the middle of the ocean. You're fighting off sharks and, you know, anyway. 
For 133 days, Poon Lim managed to survive this way, alone in the ocean. He kept himself busy by making tools like fish hooks and fishing tackle. He made a knife from the tin of the pemmican can. Mm. And to keep his mind busy, he thought of his parents and members of his family. He replayed memories of his childhood that he could. It just kept his brain busy. Otherwise, you know, you you end up thinking a lot about, well, what if I never get found? Mm. 133 days at sea? Yeah. it's It would be hard to maintain any kind of level of hope. Yeah. I think. Especially when... He saw other ships. He thought perhaps ships had seen him, but because he was Asian, they thought he was an enemy trap. Also, American airmen seemed to spot him, but he thought maybe because the storm had followed shortly after, they couldn't find him when they returned, Hmm. or maybe they just didn't return. He also at one point spotted another German sub, but it continued on its way. So he's seeing other life, but no one's helping him. Mm. Poon counted the days by tying knots in a rope, but after spending so long at sea, he decided there was no point in counting the days and simply began counting full moons. Over time, Lim knew that he was changing position in the sea. He could see that the water's color had changed pretty dramatically and assumed that meant he was getting closer to land. And he was, which is when, on the 134th day, he was spotted by a Brazilian fisherman. Obviously, Poon couldn't communicate very well with this Brazilian who only spoke Portuguese. But once they got him on the boat, they realized what had gone on and did their best to take care of him. Poon Lim was severely dehydrated, as you can imagine, and incredibly malnourished. He'd lost roughly 20 pounds, but miraculously, he was alive. He had to spend a month following his return to land in a hospital in Brazil before being sent back to Britain. Poon Lim's incredible story of survival earned him global fame and recognition. He was awarded the British Empire Medal by King George VI and became a symbol of hope and resilience during the war. To this day, no one has spent longer at sea in a raft, and the U.S. Navy teaches his survival techniques to its sailors. That's incredible. He was at sea lost for... Four and a half months? Wow. Just the mental struggle alone. Right. Not to mention, you know, all of the physical hurdles he had to overcome. Remarkable. And he knew how unlikely it was that he was going to be rescued because, one, floating out in the middle of the sea. Two, a lot of people wouldn't have cared to rescue him. Right. And those that did want to rescue him would be going into territory that they knew was very, very dangerous. When Lim was told in 1943 that he had spent longer at sea in a raft than anyone else, he said, I hope no one will ever break that record. Mm. Because he wants that Guinness Book fame, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's obviously because he doesn't want someone lost at sea. Mm -hmm. Poon Lim returned to China after the war and eventually settled in New York City. He passed away in 1991 at the age of 73, but his legacy lives on as a testament to the human spirit and power of determination. Has that ever been made into a movie? Because that would be fascinating. Ooh, interesting thought. I'm going to look that up right now. 
I'm not seeing anything. That's a real opportunity, I think. I would agree. Let's secure the rights. Also, doing research for this reminded me of the song That Sinking Feeling by Darren Hot, which is totally great, and you should check it out. <laughs> I got my information from Wikipedia, obviously. Gumson Journal, Today I Found Out, History Defined, and The Daily Telegraph Australia. We'd like to welcome our latest members of the Order of Freaks on Patreon, Cabinet of Curious Clay, and Jessica. Welcome to the fold. If you want to support the podcast on Patreon, become a member of the Order of Freaks and maybe even the Inner Circle. Mm. Go to our website, theboxofoddities.com. Click on the link there. You get ad-free episodes. You get them a little bit early. Uh, You get a bonus episode every month and uh, Zoom calls and much more. Really, really appreciate your support. You help us research the things that we talk about. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. She was the fourth ship of the Ben Line Streamliners. I'm sorry, the Ben Line Steamers to be made. The Ben Line Steamers to be named Ben Lomond. Steamers. Which, what? Hmm? Did I say streamers? No. What the heck? Okay. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts